Welcome to Buzz British Book Club. I'm Kit. I'm Bridge. Today we're going to get Buzz and talk about books. is a cat shaped bottle of 2020 Rhine Hessen Riesling Qualitatsven which you got at uh, World Market for I think like 12 or 13 dollars oh okay I think I don't really remember because it was a little while ago but it was a little more expensive than what I like, but I like that it was in a cat bottle. Especially since it's only 500 milliliters. And it's, only, yeah, it's not a lot, which is unfortunate because it tastes really good. And honestly, like, before you <clears> told <throat> me it was Riesling, looking at the bottle, it's got this, like, dusty rose color to mm-hmm. it. And so I just assumed it was going to be red wine or something like rosé or something mm. but it's um riesling as kit said and on the first sip we were both like hmm <laughs> that's quite good and we yeah. wish we had at least another bottle i know at least one more for sure and uh, we're drinking it warm uh because I, I i don't know if this is supposed to be hot or cold but i totally forgot to research it and so it just sat out on my table um so it's room temp which honestly like the weather we all i feel like we always talk about the weather in augusta but um the weather's been literally all over the place but today it's getting a bit chillier so i feel like drinking it warm is fine i mean it's delicious so i'm not mad at all yeah Yeah. um today we are talking about empty places by richard parks which is a short story that lavar burton covered in his podcast um, he actually covered it in two sessions, mm-hmm. two episodes. So if you just go on Spotify or Apple Play, Apple Podcasts or however you listen um, and just go to LeVar Burton Reads and then search it, it'll pop right up. Um, and in the course of my research, it was referred to as a novelette. Hmm. And I was curious what the word count was for a novelette. For it to like be qualified as a novelette, I think a novelette is like twenty thousand words. Um, short stories are usually no more than fifteen, and anything above that kind of falls into that novelette thing until you get to like forty thousand words, which is considered a novella. Mm. Yeah, from my understanding, I could be off by a couple thousand words, but I mean, it's you certainly know more than me as an editor, but. I think that sound that meshes with what I know. So yeah, um, it didn't feel like that long of a story though. Even though he took two sessions to cover it, yeah, and each one was about four <clears throat> to five minutes or so. And yeah, the one thing I will say though, like my normal listening speed is one point two five, sometimes one point five. Do you know that there are some that go up to two point seven? Wow, I haven't tried that, but that is seriously like you're at an auction. Yeah, (laughs) and people are bidding, and there's that person that's like, and yeah, and people are still catching what he's saying. Yeah, Yeah. that's too fast for me. But I thought it took a really long time to read the story, and so it 
in my head, I was like, well, he's reading this slow and it's taking a long time. So the word count must not be that much because if he was reading a normal speed, which for me, that's 1.25. So LeVar Burton was reading just fine. I'm just weird. Um, so yeah, it didn't seem like a novelette length is what I'm trying to say mm. in, in a weird way. Yeah, um, well, I um, I thought it was a good change of pace from Kindred um, yeah. because while we both loved that book, um, we, we were heading into this year with the intention of giving ourselves some levity, some fun, like mm -hmm. lighthearted content and balancing that out a little bit sort of to... Um, cover more genres but also protect our mental health a little bit because yeah. it can be quite difficult to process some of those tough topic topics we're talking about mm -hmm. so anyway this is a kind of a fun light-hearted romp sort, sort of. of but then there's like some heavy themes in it <clears throat> too so maybe that's why I liked it so much is because it's starts off and there's like banter and then there's just like this weird relationship and then um, and then it's, it turns out to be way more serious than you thought. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. The banter was interesting. Um, I like that it's a fantasy. I don't think we've done a fantasy on the podcast before. Um, we've done a lot of sci-fi and we've done like, yeah. you know, contemporary and like historical. But I don't know if we've done any fantasy stories. Right. I think you're right. And um, I had a moment yesterday where I was like I need to write a summary and then I completely forgot so I'm just going to go off the top of my head <laughs> there's this well-known thief who, whose name is Jane and then he realizes he's being followed and it turns out he's being followed by this wizard of ill repute um who basically forces him into this mission of going to the castle where the king and queen of Wallandia live mm -hmm. and depositing a package there. In the nursery. In the nursery where their son sleeps. Um, and it's under threat of death. And so they go on this journey together to accomplish it. And it takes you to <laughs> some pretty surprising places. So yeah. that's my off the dome summary. That's a decent summary. There yeah. I thought it was interesting when... The wizard first comes upon him he's like well i need your services so you know i'm not going to harm you but then he spends like the rest of the story threatening him with death if he doesn't comply yeah so i thought that was funny yeah i thought it was cool <clears throat> it was funny like there were moments of light-heartedness because like jane's like sauntering home from stealing money from someone and he's realizing he's been followed and so and he's quite a skilled thief mm -hmm. and so he thinks a lot about his abilities to avoid being followed and outwit people and sneak past them so as he realizes this he goes and like hides behind a boulder or something and waits for the person that's following him to catch up so he can see who it is i really like the description of yeah that. The same ancient mudslide rocks deposited by an ancient mudslide mm -hmm. i was like Neat. I like the description overall. Like I thought Richard Fox did a nice job of, of um, painting a picture for us. Um, but anyway, he's sitting behind this this boulder 
and then all of a sudden this voice comes out of nowhere and is like you're gonna spend all day back there you're gonna come <laughs> out and he's like shit and so he comes out and that's when he realizes that this person that was following him was this wizard who has a reputation like he he jane has a reputation as well but the wizard has a reputation for murder and like yeah. violence yeah and doing some real immoral things like stealing people's children and stuff like that mm-hmm. i thought it was interesting and it kind of threw me a little bit it was a little bit of a red herring when to moon to yeah to moon who's the wizard mm-hmm. tells him who he is he's like i'm to moon and then the thief like immediately believes him um and to moon is like you believe me mm-hmm. and so when i heard that i was like oh wait Timon is not really that guy. Mm. Like, that's why he's so shocked that he believed him so quickly. But that that ended up to just be a red herring or something. I was reading into it a little bit. I feel like a lot of stories that I read, I try to, like, see the clues, like Mm. the hidden whatevers. And maybe that's too analytical for some stories. I think it was a little too analytical for this one. Yeah, I mean, there's some things that pay off and some things that, like you said, don't really end up leading to anything but um i thought throughout those two characters like their mental gymnastics was kind of the most interesting part of like how they're interacting and how their relationship changes but you know in when lavar burton finishes up he's like i chose this story because you know he was kind of focusing on the positive elements and i was surprised because you've already alluded to this of like the entire situation is based on Tamund, I think, is how you say it. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, again, I'm a visual person. <laughs> I couldn't find a, a written version of the story, so we just had the, the audio version. But um, Tamund threatening him and his his life. Right. And so it's not, there's no, like, agency. There's no willpower. There's nothing. He is forced to go along with this mission and so even though it's fun and even though they have banter and even though you go to some really funny places and kind of turns out nice, um, it, it there is this kind of sinister element to it because the whole time it's like someone's holding a gun to his head. Right. Um, and there's a couple of instances where he has to, like, prove how powerful he is to uh, Jane so that Jane doesn't decide to run away or try to escape. mm and he takes him in this like out of body experience, and he like strikes a tree with lightning, and, and a couple of other like scary things just to like let him know like if you try to escape, I'm gonna kill you. Like even if you get as far away from me as you can, like I can still kill you because look how powerful I am. And it, I thought it went on kind of a long time. Like how many times has he got to demonstrate this yeah. before the story continues moving forward? So that kind of. I don't know, kind of removed a little bit of the tension for me because we just kept kind of going back and forth with that. But um, it was an interesting dynamic and I wonder what Jane would have done if Timon had just told him up front what the mission was for. But she tells him that at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I mean, obviously, it wouldn't have been the same story <laughs> if he told yeah. them up front. But just thinking about, like, the characters 
and and who Jane is portrayed as. He's kind of this. I mean, he's a thief, but at some point in the story, he talks about how he does have morals. Like he doesn't steal from anybody who can't afford it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't kill anyone that doesn't try to kill him. He doesn't mess with children, um, things like that. And so he kind of has his own little code, even though he's a thief. Um, where was I going with that? I think that characterization <clears throat> of Jane was interesting. Like Jane seems quite charming. He's like, you know, very confident in his skills, but he does have this code, as Kit mentioned. And he kind of lectures to Mund a little bit about, you know, how he not to say he's better than him, but he he does well, He kind of does say but that. But I guess he does. <laughs> um and like uh it was interesting because there's this tension where um Timon's like, Are you really like giving me a lecture on morality? And yeah. And Jane's like, Yeah, I mean, I I take money, but like Kit outlined he has this those uh the code. So I like that. I found that compelling about Jane. Um and I, I just thought like the whole time it was kind of funny because Jane's almost like making an argument for Timon to kill him. Um, yeah, which Tamunda points out. A yeah, times. he's like, "Why are you trying to like make yourself your situation worse? Like, this is only going to go well for me if you don't tell anybody about this. Right. So stop giving me reasons to kill you. Right. <laughs> um, but it was a source of tension because you wondered if Tamunda was actually going to turn out to be this killer that his reputation sort of lends itself to to you think him being that way. Um, versus if he's actually got good intentions because you don't really know I mean the whole time the mission is to deposit this random package into yeah. the nursery and and Jane asks him at some point like is it gonna hurt the, the child mm-hmm. and he's like no but if that were my intention I'd have no qualms about saying so so Anyway, Jane is basically forced to go on this journey. So they're journey- journeying through the countryside together and they take this path towards the ca- the castle. And then, as Kit mentioned, there's this sort of out-of-body experience at some point where um, Jane is sleeping and then he thinks he's dreaming and he's, like, walking to the edge of what I envision, like, a cliff where he's at, looking out over the wild mountains <clears throat> and the night sky and Tamund is there, and he's basically like, I summoned you here. And he goes on this, like, weird, like, I don't know, like, monologue about how he likes the empty places of the world. And I didn't really understand where he was going with that, because he was basically, like, saying, talking about perspective. So, like you know, we're wrapped up in the politics of our little world and our little kingdom and then the associated kingdoms around that. But these mountains, these stars, these rivers, these forests, they don't care. They're just here. And, like, he was talking about how much he liked what he called the empty places, which obviously is what what the story is called. And I just didn't really understand the correlation there or, like, what what Richard Parks was trying to tell us. Or if he was just kind of characterizing Tamund as like having more depth than just a you know, violent killer that his reputation sort of painted him to be. 
Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really understand that conversation either. Um, I definitely don't understand why that's the title of the story, for sure. Um, but maybe it has something to do with like his power, because at the end... Should I skip to the end? Should I, should I detail things? Not yet, me? probably not. Okay, well, his, his he has a special power that's like probably been done a million times, but it's got this unique spin. Richard Parks puts this unique spin on it. And maybe the magic only works in the empty places of time? Mm. Maybe? I don't know. We'll talk about it more when we get to that point, but... I don't know. Yeah, this conversation really didn't land with me either. Um, and it, it kind of, again, it kind of felt wordy and like dragging the story out a little bit. I kind of, like the only tension really in the story was the death threats. Like Timon and then, and then the mission Jane. too. Like are they going to successfully complete <clears throat> this mission? Honestly, that really wasn't... Um, that wasn't in my head as a source of tension because mm. there wasn't really any stakes if they failed. Mm. And like... Or, or if there were, we didn't know what they were. Right. And so like that really wasn't any tension building for me, whether they failed or whether he failed or not. Um, and I wish I'd known a little bit more about the package mm-hmm. or about the mission or like a little bit more foreshadowing about either of those things mm-hmm. to give a little bit more like tension for oh shit if he fails or if he succeeds this terrible thing is going to happen and i don't know i just like i said the only tension i felt was like the death threats so he's going to kill him some allusion to like the kingdoms being at odds and i don't remember exactly what it was but it was something like the neighbor neighboring kingdom you know maybe because that's why he was talking about the empty places because he was talking about them going to war or something. Yeah, but that didn't feel any It didn't land. Any... I mean, I... It... it didn't feel any different from any other fantasy story. It's like, mm. cool, warring kingdoms. Got that's, it. Got, got it. it. Check. That's, that fits into every other fantasy story ever. So... Well, they they make the journey, right? Well, I guess before we go there. So he summons him, like, in his mind or whatever, talks to him about blah, 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 empty places... And then he's like, um, this is what's going to happen. You're going to wake up in a minute and you're going to think this was a dream. And then you're going to walk 30 paces down the path. And then you're going to remember everything we just talked about. And sure enough, you know, he wakes up from his bedroll or whatever, the sleeping on the ground. He looks around, he sees Tamunda's not around. And he's like, I can make off with all the money and just run away and it's fine. And so he starts going down the path, and then sure enough, 30 paces down the path, he turns to his right, Timon's there, and he's like, shit. And he remembers everything. Yep. <clears throat> so that is kind of the point in which it's like, okay, Jane's like, I'm stuck. You know, I have no choice. There's no getting away from this. He is really as powerful as I've heard him to be, and so I've got to accomplish this mission. And this this is when it gets sort of mission impossible bully where they go sure. they go to the town and there's this allusion to like it being this horse trading fair because I guess that's what Wallandia is known for. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of people in the town. And so they will be easily overlooked because no one cares. There's a bunch of strangers there anyway. And Tamun knows about this secret entrance to the castle, which is like through all these like 
I don't know, brambles or something. Caves through a cave. Well, before they get there, there's the path that has all the, um, uh, what are they called? Like thorns and things that they yeah. were fighting through. Brambles. Yeah. And eventually they get to this like fissure in some rock. Oh, yeah. And they go through the cave and the whole time Jenny's like, it smells terrible in here. What is that <laughs> smell? And then <laughs> this is probably my favorite part. They get to the this like opening and it's this giant pile of shit. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that well, Jane's like, that's the smell. And it's basically like the Queen's outhouse. Like her they called it something different in the story. Do you remember what it was called? Um, I don't remember. It was like her uh, something something chamber that I'd never heard before. But anyway, basically like her water closet, uh, her toilet yeah. or whatever. And so basically like it sat over this giant cave and all her shit is just down there. Which no wonder it smelled terrible. And it described it in infinite detail it felt like because it was talking about all the vermin and the bugs that were in it and how the smell would have been worse if they hadn't been there to like process it or something process it so from there they climb up the side of the cave and at some point uh Timon just like gets a grappling hook and swings it round his head and on the first try like locks it up on the side of whatever he was trying to latch it onto and then um jane shimmies up the the rope <laughs> and then this is where this is where it was like the most compelling part to me this is where the tension kind of hit yeah me. i agree yeah so he, he goes in here and he's creeping through the castle um and he gets to the queen's room and he sees her and he's like gosh this is just a child mm -hmm. and She's um, not asleep. He expected her to be asleep. Right. So he sees candles and he's like, oh, they just left a light on because maybe she's scared of the dark or something. And then he sees her. She's at a table writing a letter and she's like crying. And um, like he he mentions, you know, that she's young, which was weird to me, but just weird for the story in general, I think, for me. But um, anyway... And then he, he has this thought, like, what does she have to be sad about? Like, she lives a life of luxury, mm -hmm. you know, all this kind of thing. And and then he, like, clarifies it in the story. It's like, oh, the same right to be unhappy as everyone. I did like that I like point. that a lot, yeah. It's like, just because you think somebody has, like, a very easy life with money and comfort doesn't mean that they can't have their own problems right and like luxury doesn't really buy happiness like you still have you know i'd like to try though wouldn't you oh definitely <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you know how people always say like fame and money ruin everyone give me a try just like give me the money give me the right fame, yeah and let's see if i pass the test i mean i think like i'd fall on that grenade honestly <laughs> <laughs> but emotions don't really care how rich you are. Depression doesn't you know? care. Depression doesn't care. Um, anxiety doesn't care. Like, you know, people being mean to you, like the way Still that be makes abusive. you Yeah, the way that makes you feel, it doesn't matter. You know, riches don't care. So I thought it was good that he 
like stopped and had that thought. I don't know how it really relates to any of the rest of the story, really, but it was an interesting, profound thing to insert um, into Jane's. I just really like Jane as a character. Character, yeah. Because he did have all these layers to him. Mm-hmm. More so, I thought, than Tamund. But so it's really exciting. He's like, you know, Mission Impossible. Dun, 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 right. dun, dun, like up through the toilet. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then he sees the, the queen crying, as Git said, and she's like writing a letter. And he's like, what? What's going on? Um, and then her servant, I forget her name. Something with an L. Yeah, comes in and um, she's like, uh, the queen's like, you know, here's a letter. The, the servant's like, do you want me to take it right now? And she's like, no, I'm still thinking about it. If it's still on my desk in the morning, take it and send it for mm-hmm. me. And so the servant's like, okay, um, do you want like a, some hot cocoa or some, some branding. something? Branding. Branding, there we go. Yeah. Um, before you go to sleep. And she's like, sure. And so she go, the servant goes and gets it for the queen. The queen drinks it. And like goes right knocked to out sleep. almost right away. And the whole time you've got this like inner monologue of Jane of like how he's interpreting the right. scene and he's like, Shh, that servant must have put something. Yeah, in. she fell asleep way too quickly. Mm-hmm. So he but he's like, whatever. And was there some sort of thing that he had to do to prove that he had left the package? Like he had to steal something to prove that he'd been there. Right? Yeah, he was going to steal something, which I guess would prove to Timon that he actually put it there, but then also that he could use for his own reputation. Right. To, like, you know, amplify his own reputation of, I snuck into the castle right right under their noses and I took this thing. So that's the second part of his mission is, one, deposit the package, and two, take something that would um, irrefutably reflect that I'd been in the castle. Right. And so he, he pauses at the table and he's like, I want to take this letter. I could take the seal, um, but if somebody finds that, if I use that to enhance my reputation, somebody might kill me for it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to care about a stupid letter. Mm-hmm. So he decides that he's going to take the letter, but then he like leaves it there to go and deposit the package. And yeah. I was a little confused about why he just left well, it Well, he there. had to leave it there. I mean, he had to, but he didn't. Like, he could have picked it up, put it in his Maybe pocket. Maybe he was just... He, maybe he was still thinking about it. I don't know. It was in the script. He had to leave it there. <laughs> I mean, yes, for plot purposes, he had to leave it there, which is so something in my head. But anyway, so he, he just leaves it there and he goes to the nursery and he pauses for some reason, plot, I suppose. Um, but then, so like he doesn't go into the nursery and he sees the maid come back into the room, pause, and steal um, the letter. And then she takes the letter. So he's like, huh. Like, why would the maid steal the letter? And not follow her, her and queen's not, directions. Right, and not wait till the morning to see if the queen changed her mind or not. Um, and so that's interesting. So he deposits the package. Yeah, and then he waits. He sees the servant take the letter. So he decides in that moment... And I, I think even in that moment, he thinks to himself, I don't don't really know why I'm doing this. And he goes in the, the servant's quarters and steals the letter back. Yeah. And then he makes his way out and back, you know, down the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> to um, Timund. 
and this is where it's it's not like it's written like necessarily like he completely retells the story to Timon. It's a little bit open, like what he knows and what he doesn't. Yeah. So they make their way out, and then I guess at some point on their journey home, right? Mm-hmm. They have like a they stop they a, a camp. Yeah. Yeah, and then. And then it just kind of skips time, sort of, because it's a little. It was a little jarring to me. So he takes the letter. They escape. Timon pays him, and I guess it's decided he's not going to kill him. Yeah. Um, all sort of off screen, and then the next thing we know, Timon is asking him, "Why did you burn the letter?" Yeah. He he goes, "I see you burned the letter." Yeah. And he's like, "Yeah." And then it is leads to this whole conversation. Where they basically understand each other to be better people than they thought, or better people than their reputation purported them to be. Yeah. Because you find out the whole reason that Tamund was doing it was because there was rumors that there was tension in the marriage. Because I guess the queen was, as we talked about, young. And maybe, like, forcibly married to this older king who was known to be quite uh, disagreeable, is an understatement. Yeah. Even violent. Um, And so you're led to think, like, maybe she's sitting there writing a letter back to her family Mm -hmm. and crying and saying, I can't do this anymore, please. Come take me back. Do you want to kind of explain why Timon did what he did. Yeah, so the letter that that Jane burns was a letter to one of her childhood friends, basically saying how unhappy she was. Mm-hmm. And um I don't exactly remember if she asked him to help her or if it was just like her confiding in her childhood friend who was also the king of the neighboring mm-hmm. country or something like that. Or heir to the throne or something. Right. You know. And so Timon explains to Jane, you know, they, they kind of talk about the contents of the letter a little bit. Um, and and then Timon is like, well, I saw that this was like the place where the future changed. Like this was the moment where the future diverged. And like, I can see the future but i can only see the moments where the future changes mm-hmm. or something along those lines so like that's what i was talking about earlier the empty places maybe the empty places like maybe when the future diverges it's an empty place or something mm-hmm. and that's what he can see but that's like that's that's the extent of his ability and so it, it comes out that like he intended for jane to steal the letter and so jane's like well how did you know i was going to steal it you know, like, mm-hmm. that wasn't the mission. It was, so it wasn't about the package at all. It was about him stealing this letter. And he's like, well, I didn't know you were going to steal it. I just knew what kind of person you were. Mm. You know, so I was, you know, hoping you would steal it type of thing. So it was interesting. Um, and, and I, again, I kind of wonder, like, given Jane's character, would he gone ahead with it? If Timon had just straight up told him at the beginning, like, hey, I need you to steal this letter. Because it's going to cause this these warring 
countries a lot of headache you know it's gonna it's gonna cause a lot of problems for a lot of people if we don't stop this letter from getting into the wrong hands which it would have if that maid had kept the letter and turned it into i assume the king i don't think he it would have i don't think it would have worked that way because in the very beginning jane like tries to turn to munda by saying i don't deal with wizards and he yeah, says like true. i don't trust them and um and then at the end as it comes full circle both of them say they trust each other right so i don't think it would have worked that way because even if he had told him the whole story jane probably would have said yeah right you're just using me like you know whatever so unfortunately they had to go through this kind of journey of like you know being forced jane had to be forced to do it in order for them both to <laughs> as kit rings the cat's neck <laughs> it's fine i didn't even are you sure yeah, yeah, i feel I'm like good. i have two swallows more than you it's fine um we just needed a second bottle of this oh, we did. Kitty, cat yeah. wine. kitty cat wine uh so anyway you know just like you know trust is a, a interesting thing because in order to be successful in relationships you have to have trust but you can only establish trust through going you know through time or or going through something together right like it doesn't just happen where you walk in meet someone and you're like i immediately trust you i mean at least you shouldn't behave that way right, maybe some yeah. people do so one thing that i didn't like about the conversation with Timon and Jane about the letter was that he was explaining why taking the letter was going to protect the kingdom and like end up you know a happier ending or whatever and he was basically like um you know the queen not being able to send this letter means that she like humbles herself to the king or something and then that in turn enables the king to like consider his wife more you know respectfully it or was something like, like that a, very much like a manipulation like okay it it's it's like <clears throat> i'm gonna leave a gift for the queen and the queen's gonna open it that's what the package was the queen's gonna open it and think oh this is from the king maybe he's nicer than i thought and was that what it was mm -hmm. okay i missed the part about the package being for her and then she and so she's, she's nicer to him because right. she thinks he gave her a gift it reminds me a little bit of like much ado about nothing do you remember that shakespearean play play where like the two people that fall in love like hate each other in the beginning but they orchestrate this whole thing where it's like oh benedict likes me hmm. oh maybe i like benedict and it, i think that's his name and it turns into this whole like manipulative thing of like i'm gonna change the way i behave towards you because of this falsehood right but because of that you're gonna be nicer to me and then we'll end up being happier happily ever after right i think what bothered me about it though was that her reaction to the king because she got the package was actually a genuine one um whereas the king had been an asshole yeah he didn't deserve that from her 
And it, it just sort of was putting all the responsibility on this young 16 or 17 year old queen to save the marriage when this older king should have been treating her better and not being such an asshole. Yeah, it was just weird. And then, and then the, the wizard was like, yeah, so this enables the queen to be more appreciative to the king. And then the king will see that and then be more respectful to his wife. And I just, I, I mean, it was a happy ending. So yay, if he could foresee the future, good for him. But I don't know. It just sucks that like the 16 year old girl has to take the responsibility for saving the marriage. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but I think in this scenario, she's the only one that could have done it because the the way the queen, the queen, I just combined king and queen. <laughs> Too much cat uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way the king was portrayed, he was kind of older, stuck in his ways and whatever. So even if, things have been reversed I don't know I mean it was the queen who was on the precipice of pulling in her friends you know these strong allies that she has to potentially remove her from the situation right remove her from a shitty situation maybe right. that would have been better for her which you know maybe but then I guess to Moon's point was it would lead to war and all of that so I, again woman being used as a pawn you know like in yeah up your street Helen of Troy right yeah um, but anyway I mean you know that apart I thought it was an unexpected end I didn't re- you know I had no idea what Timon's intentions were gonna be so I didn't know it um and I, I was just more enraptured with Jane as a character. Yeah. And it felt like the whole story felt like a prologue to something bigger. Yeah, it definitely could have been. He, he certainly could have written a story about Yolandia or whatever it was called. I think it was Wolandia. Wolandia, something like that. He definitely could have written something or maybe even an alternate reality where that letter did get sent. <laughs> I could see it as a prologue and then from there, you know, the stories about Jane and then like more about the queen and then the the how the queen's son grows up and, you know, beyond that. Oh, my dad's calling. <laughs> Number one fan, <laughs> dad. Sorry, I'm declining your call, dad. Uh... So, yeah, anyway, I just thought it was setting up all these interesting and engaging elements of a story. So it was kind of disappointing that that's where it ended. You know what would have been really fun for the story? What? Do you remember the Choose Your Adventure Yes. Wouldn't it have been really fun if it was like, send the letter, leave the letter, (laughs) burn the letter. That would be cool. (laughs) Deliver the letter to the appropriate person and then just like go from there and Mm -hmm. have spin-offs. That would have been super fun. That would have been fun. I remember having one of those books when I was a kid and I was obsessed with it. Turn to page 52. Yeah, and you're like, oh my God, what's going (laughs) to happen? Yeah, that was a cool concept. I definitely think, you know, bring it back. Definitely. Especially like... I do feel like there's probably some um, like games on your phone that are like this. They're like rom- romance ones where you see some hot person and you're like, go talk to them or so away. video games are a lot like that. Now. Yeah, I- I've been playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey for a couple of years. It's off and on. It's, it's a stress reliever. 
Um, but yeah, like so like the conversations that you have and like the choices and dialogue mm. that you have with your characters and other characters is sort of like that because it can definitely change the entire story. Like you could piss off the wrong person and then you can't change it. It's, it's <laughs> really undone. So um yeah, I think uh, Mr. Parks, if you're listening, which I'm certain you are. <laughs> um, please expand this story into a series because I really liked your characterization of Jane and I wanted to get Kit's thoughts on how LeVar Burton portrayed the voices so every now and again he does accents and it's in service to the story and most of the time when it's one he's not like very well practiced in he gets um, guidance from like the author on it and how oh. to do it like honorably. I remember him saying that before when he, when he was doing like uh, an accent for someone from, I believe it was Trinidad and Tobago. Okay. So he got a guidance from, from the author so he could do it in a way that was respectful. Um, and so in this story, the only real accent apart from like his standard American accent is Jane. So he mm -hmm. does a special accent for Jane, which uh, Kit and I had very differing like <laughs> uh, interpretations of, I guess. So you thought... I thought it was Scottish. And I was like, at moments I was like, this is Irish. And I was like, I wonder what Kit thinks about his Irish accent. And then there were other moments where I was like, is that Jamaican? <laughs> <laughs> So I'm quite certain LeVar Burton knows far more about accents than I do, but I did think there were moments where I was like, I'm not quite certain what this accent is. So if you listen to the story, let us know what you think. I, yeah. don't, know, I don't know what his intentions were because he doesn't say it on the podcast. Um, he talks about why he chose the story, but he didn't say like why he did certain accents, so... Anyways, um, I think I've pretty much covered everything that I wanted. I just, I wanted, I think, I think the story could have been stronger with a little bit more foreshadowing. I think at certain points, uh, like the Queen's letter or whatever, like, like the letter at, in itself being the main reason, um, you know, to stop a war or whatever. And, and like the Queen's relationship with her childhood friend who's, you know, the leader of another kingdom. I thought little details like that could have been foreshadowed better mm -hmm. to build tension around, you know, what's happening in the background mm -hmm. and, like, what the stakes might be and, like, what some of the complications might occur yeah. if you're caught, you know, sneaking into the Queen's room, you mm -hmm. know? And uh, so, yeah, just a, a few little things. Like, I enjoyed the story and I thought it was fun. Um but I did wish there was a little bit more foreshadowing for a couple of things because they felt like they were just convenient for the plot mm. in a lot of places. Yeah, I mean, he says, like, um, LeVar talks about Tamunda as, like, a mentor to Jane or someone that sees Jane for who he is, which he certainly does that. But LeVar's, like, focusing on the relationship as if it's a purely positive one. Because at the end of the podcast, he talks about his teacher in third grade. I think he said her name was Mrs. 
twigs or something like that. And she fancied herself a cup of tea in the afternoon. So she'd just leave the class to go make a cup of tea and leave LeVar in charge of like the third grade grade classroom <laughs> and, and make him read. Which one, I was like, what is Miss Twig putting in her teacup? She's not just putting <laughs> tea in there. <laughs> She's got some kitty cat <laughs> reasoning. She's got <laughs> kitty cat wine in there. So Lavar's like talking about is how he was identified as the best reader in the class. And it, it gave him such a sense of power and self and confidence and trust and all these lovely things that's really nice which is is lovely and i remember certain moments that your teachers like my teachers growing up they have the power to completely change the course of your life by doing something relatively small like that and uh so i thought that was cool but i also thought like i don't know if jane and Timon's relationship can be interpreted as a mentor mentee you really see me for who I am relationship because even though Timon did see him as who he truly was as a good person and and whatnot Timon used force and violence to yeah. to hold Jane to Hostage, that yeah basically to force him to to make a good decision which is not really mentor behavior like mentors yeah. typically give you the facts and let you make your own decisions and then help you through the outcomes or whatever that decision is um that in my opinion anyway that's what a good mentor does <clears throat> and that's not at all what Timon did with Jane he was like nope you're gonna do exactly as I say or I'm gonna kill you yeah um I feel like Le Levar's point of view on the mentor mentee thing stems from like traditional tropey wizard slash apprentice type relationships yeah. in fantasy where the wizard is like this wise and old figure with all this knowledge and this apprentice is someone who's learning from him um you know which is good but like that's also usually a consensual mm. relationship um and there's usually some form of trust established right off the bat which was completely both of those were completely absent mm -hmm. in this story so i kind of disagree with uh with lavar's assessment of the mentor mentee relationship between timon and jane there at the end yeah i mean it felt very much like he kind of glossed over the origins of their relationship so i don't know i was i was kind of surprised by his take on that but i was intrigued by his story like i thought that was sweet that you know in third grade he was I recognized as yeah you know, the best reader and then i uh, wonder if like if if his teacher hadn't done that like would he have pursued reading yeah. as like a profession like without her like lifting him up like that and giving him such confidence in that particular thing like would he have chosen to do something else yeah I don't know. Totally different. Changed, like, changed his third grade teacher yeah. might be the only reason why we have Lavar that is Lavarber <laughs> <laughs> and reading Rainbow and like and Roots and Star Trek and millions everything else. of impacted lives from 
the the awesome Navar Burton. So that's that's incredible to think about, and like profound. Like that makes me think about my own children. They're in daycare, and they love their teachers. And my son's going to kindergarten this year. Um, so like in my head, I'm like, well, damn. Like something like that could have such a far-reaching impact. Yeah. Do you, can you I don't want to get this shit wrong. Do you, do you have like a moment like that with one of your teachers from growing up? Um, not until I got to college. I had one um, college, well, I had several college professors, uh, but one in particular was my world history instructor. Um, her name was um, Dr. Faulkner. And she just it was one of those weird times where you're like kind of butting heads with your parents and yeah. my parents were particularly suffocating I guess yeah. for lack of a better word um and she was just really like this awesome listening board and like you know she listened to me when I was complaining about things and just having someone there like so I guess validate me, mm-hmm. you know, and like not just brush off what I was experiencing as, oh, well, you're just a teenager, you'll get over it, you'll figure it out, you'll grow up and grow into it, or you'll learn how to deal with them, or, you know, I got another mm-hmm. class to teach, like hurry up and go away, or, mm. you know, stuff like that. It's, it's like, like not my problem. Exactly, yeah. like good luck, you know, you and the rest of the campus you know she wasn't like that at all and it really stuck with me I think I had some lovely teachers especially in grade school which makes me feel old saying grade school elementary school um I remember two in particular one was in my second grade teacher and her name was Miss Bloodworth I can picture her face and I think I looked her up on Facebook not too long ago when I still had Facebook and she was like a principal of a school and I was like go nice. on Miss Bloodworth good for you she used to come to my hall shows oh like, really like how many teachers and maybe teachers do this today I don't know but like how many teachers do you know would come to you know one of their students extracurricular activities that has nothing to do with what you're doing in the classroom at a sacrifice of your own time and away from your family or you know personal time or whatever she would come and watch me do that she was a lovely lovely woman and then my fourth grade teacher was mrs hogan Mueller, and i remember <laughs> her as like talking to us in such a refreshing way of like telling us honestly what was what particular she told, sat us all down once and was like some of you need to wear deodorant <laughs> <laughs> It's that changing piece of advice. And thanks to her, I'm no longer stinky. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) And she also read to us, and she read us this book called, I think it's The Lion's Paw. And it was like this um, somewhat rare book that described these, as I remember, these kids' adventures sailing around the state of Florida. And I think like that for me instilled this sense of adventure Mm. that is very much something that like fills my cup so to speak of like these experiences and going out and like 
in nature, in the world, and just like being the captain of your own proverbial ship and like going out to do something exciting. Yeah. Um, and I always love that. So I think those are probably my best two examples of like really pivotal women in my life that just set me up to succeed by their kindness and their their sort of truth of handling and working with kids. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah. You know what we're forgetting to do? What? Our corporate. I didn't forget. Oh. <laughs> I'm just waffling on about my teachers. Um, well, I forgot it. I was like, wait a minute. What? How do we end the podcast? <laughs> the kitty cat wine. The kitty cat wine. Um, so <laughs> how do you want to rate it? The wine. Yeah, let's start with the wine. I'll scroll back up so we can see the rubric. Okay, so, I mean, very smooth. One. Taste was incredible. Buzz. I don't know if I feel much of a buzz. I think if I had had the entire bottle, I'd definitely have an amazing buzz. I mean, I feel a little bit of one. I'm going to give it a one. Okay. Because we really just didn't have a lot of it, I don't think. Yeah. Um, To really give it a go, but I'm feeling like a little tiny bit cost i give that a zero cork it, it was like 12 bucks my normal size four so drink again i would have 100 percent drinks again absolutely all right definitely so that's drink a four again. for you i would even pay 12 dollars again for it i just wouldn't want to <laughs> <laughs> um yes yeah, so this was like pretty smooth so i'm gonna go for one um, taste like it's good. It's not it's just not my favorite kind of wine. Mm-hmm. I just overarchingly prefer red wine, but it's very good. So even with that, I'll just say half. Um, buzz, yeah, it's definitely there. Although I feel like it's because Orchid and I have really scarfed down is a piece some pieces of sushi right before we <laughs> started recording. So that makes it easier. Yeah. Um, and then cost uh for me, that's not too bad. My my threshold's a wee bit higher than um than thrifty kit. Yeah. But um so yeah, I mean cost is fine. And then drink again, yeah, sure. So that puts me at four and a half. Four and a half. Wow. And you just said um four just like zero for the cost. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, we quite enjoyed that. And then switching over to the actual story, do you want me to start? Sure, go for it. Okay. Um, readability, one, it, it um, you know, didn't have anything that was confusing for me. Um, and then tension and interest ke- keeping. It sort of waned here and there. Like we were talking about, for me, the most tense part was the part where Jane gets into the Queen's chambers and then there's like, oh, is she going to find him? What's going to happen? But other than that, it kind of felt like choppy, Mm -hmm. I guess, throughout. So I'm going to just say half for that. Um, And then plot cohesiveness and arc. I think for me, the plot, like, was interesting, but it didn't have all the payoffs that we were talking about. Yeah. And it kind of felt like some of it came out of left field a little bit. Yeah. So I'd say, I'll just say half for that one. Um, it was the most interesting part of this story for me was Jane's character. I don't know that I really understood Tamun's character or how his magical power really worked. So I guess that's a half for me since, like, I just like Jane. I didn't really like Tamun. Yeah, mm. fair. 
I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. Um, and then lastly, significant to literary culture. I mean, it's like not good, but it's not bad. Yeah. So how do you rate that? Half. Okay. <laughs> cool. In the middle. And it's interesting because this story did make it on some anthology of like the best of like really? sci-fi fantasy. Hold on, let me find it. I just remember it was like 2005 best fantasy. And I don't know who was creating this anthology, but I was quite surprised. Um, Interesting. Because it didn't strike me as like that amazing. I mean, it was a good story, but it wasn't like one of the best I'd read. Right. So um, let's see. Two and a half. Wait, no, three is where I ended up. Three. Three. Okay. All right. So readability is one. You know, there wasn't anything weird. No weird words to look up. Tension and interest keeping. I'm going to give that a zero. No lie. Like, if uh, if I hadn't had to read it, I wouldn't have. I, I would have stopped. You wouldn't have listened to LeVar Burton's dulcet LeVar tones. LeVar Burton is amazing. But just like, it just, there was... After, like, the second time that he has to prove that he can kill Jane if he wants to, I was like, all right, get on with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> plot cohesiveness and arc. I'm going to give that a half because uh, there were just too many things that were just plot convenient. And I don't like plot convenience. I like foreshadowing things. Mm. Um, character development and arc. I, I like Jane's character. I like the Queen's character, and I liked uh, Timund. He was okay, but there wasn't anything, like, super compelling about any of them. So I'll give that a half. Okay. Okay. And then significant literary culture, a half. Uh, it wasn't bad or good, in my opinion. It was just okay. Um, yeah. It, it felt like a normal fantasy story. So that's what, two and a half corks? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fine. All right. Yeah. A little harsh. I mean, we're <laughs> fresh off Kindred, where we both rated it really highly, and it was quite a meaningful story, but it was also very heavy. And yeah. so it's kind of nice to shift gears a little bit and have a somewhat simpler story without so many like, charged tones or themes. Yeah. Um, and then... From this, we get to go into some really fun um, rom-com, steamy, McSteamerton sort of situation yeah. with a lot of Prosecco to boot. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in next week. We'll be reading Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. And we'll be drinking Lamarco Prosecco. Buzz off, mate. Buzz off.